Catholic History Trek, a podcast exploring the Catholic past. In 1896, Andrew Dixon White, a historian and first president of Cornell University, published a book titled A History of the Warfare of Science with Theology and Christendom. It was a very popular book, and its basic idea that there is an essential conflict between Christianity and science is one that's still around, was popular at the time, and is popular still. Stanley Yaki, a Hungarian-American priest and historian of science, wrote The Relevance of Physics in 1966, in which he argued that it was medieval Christianity, that is to say Catholicism, that provided the intellectual conditions necessary for the advance of science. In other words, without Christianity, no modern science. These two ideas, conflict or compatibility, represent two fundamentally different views of the relationship between science and faith, or science and Catholicism more specifically. At present, you can still find large numbers of people who embrace each position. Now, as you might guess if you're a regular listener, Scott and I would lean more towards Stanley Yockey's view, that is, compatibility between faith and science. One of the reasons for this is because our treks through Catholic history provide more evidence for it. Sensational events such as the often misunderstood Galileo affair tend to distract from the fact that the church and her sons and daughters have been at the center of the development of the natural sciences. Galileo, by the way, was a practicing Catholic whose daughter was a nun. Her letters to him were published a few years back and make for very interesting reading. His critics were churchmen, that's true, but his defenders were also churchmen. The dispute over Galileo's theories was not a debate between science and religion, but between different factions within the church. And then there's the question about exactly what the dispute concerned, but that might be a podcast for another day. The church, through its leadership, cardinals, popes, bishops, and its institutions, has sponsored much scientific research down through the centuries. And individual Catholics have been at the forefront of scientific progress in a number of fields. To highlight just a few of the notable figures, there's the 16th century Polish cleric Copernicus, a major figure in astronomy. Nicholas Steno, an 18th century Danish bishop, one of the founders of geology. Gregor Mendel, the 19th century Austrian Augustinian friar, a major figure in genetics. And George Lemaitre, the 20th century Belgian priest who made important advances in physics and astronomy. All of these, with the possible exception of Copernicus, were ordained priests. Copernicus, we know, had at least minor orders. And if you don't know what minor orders are, well, Scott's got a podcast on that. And then there are the lay people. For example, Alessandro Volta, an Italian Catholic in the late 18th and early 19th centuries, and André Ampère, a French Catholic during the same period. Now, these two are both examples of eponyms. Eponyms are personal names that become other words. Think, for example, of the phrase Herculean task. Well, the adjective Herculean comes from the Greek hero Hercules. And we have units of electrical measurements, volts and amperes or amps that come from the names of these two Catholic scientists. An eponym is also the main topic for this episode. 
You've probably heard of pasteurized milk, but you may not know the term pasteurization derived from the scientist whose findings gave rise to the process. And to learn more about him, I'm going to turn it over to Scott. Thank you, Kevin. And yeah, you mentioned a pretty impressive list of Catholic scientists. And as you said, the first one, but hopefully not the last that we will be covering is the French scientist Louis Pasteur, who is known for many things such as his rabies vaccine, which is actually how I came to learn of him as a child many, many years ago, reading a 1977 children's book titled The Value of Believing in Yourself, The Story of Louis Pasteur. Now, granted, it's more self-help than science, but it was an interesting book as a child nonetheless. Anyway, Louis Pasteur was born in the commune of Dola in eastern France in 1822, came from a long line of peasants, and was the third child of a poor tanner. And interestingly, despite all the accolades we attribute to him, he was a very nominal student who rather devoted himself to fishing and sketching over his studies. And early in his life, there were thoughts he might end up becoming an artist. But he eventually developed an interest in science and moved to Paris to study at the prestigious École Normale Supérieure school where he worked his way through the school with assistance from his father. And after graduation, he was briefly a professor of physics at the Lycée, which is a high school in Dijon, before quickly moving to the University of Strasbourg as a professor of chemistry, which is where he met his future wife, Marie Laurent, who was the daughter of the rector. After half a dozen years at Strasbourg, he moved on to the University of Lille to be the Dean of Sciences and a Professor of Chemistry, and his time at this university had led to quite a significant influence in his course of research, which I'll mention here in a, in a moment. After a few years at this university, he moved on to the École Normale in Paris, the Director of Scientific Studies, and then to the École des Beaux-Arts as a Professor of Geology and Chemistry, and a few years after that, he moved again, this time to the Sorbonne as a Professor of Chemistry, where he finally stayed put for two decades until the Pasteur Institute was founded in the late 1880s, of which he became the director. The Pasteur Institute still exists today, continuing the research he started on infectious diseases, and they're generally attributed as being the first institute to isolate the HIV virus and have produced many Nobel winners. So, Regarding his work, in 1856, while serving as the Dean of Sciences at the Lilla University, a local winemaker, who was the father of one of his students, asked for Pasteur's advice on fermentation. This led to the discovery that the fermentation process was caused by yeast and not decomposition, as popularly believed. He also found that oxygen decreased fermentation, which is now known as the Pasteur effect. And through these fermentation experiments, he proved the process of biogenesis, that life begets life, and demonstrated that spontaneous generation did not occur. This is a point definitely worth mentioning, as the spontaneous generation which Pasteur disproved, also called a biogenesis, was championed by a contemporary of Pasteur named Charles Darwin. In his evolutionary theory, Darwin proposed a biogenesis as a mechanism of life emerging from non-life. Basically, that a mixture of chemicals, heat, light, and electricity would magically or miraculously produce life. 
which a century and a half later still remains an elusive chimera for scientists. And contrary to Darwin, Pasteur is said to have supported the biblical account of creation, which is which not only matched his faith, but also seemed to match the discoveries he was making in the scientific field. His re this research into fermentation and putrefaction showed that the growth of microorganisms spoiled beverages like milk, beer, and wine, and the elimination of these living germs could prevent fermentation or putrefaction. This led to the process Kevin mentioned at the top of our episode of pasteurization, which we call pasteurization or pasteurize, which you will see on basically all the milk you buy at the grocery store. In this process of pasteurization, they use heat to kill germs that could spoil food and cause diseases like tuberculosis, diphtheria, scarlet fever, etc. And connecting his research to his Catholic faith, he's purportedly said, the more I study nature, the more I stand amazed at the work of the creator. Into his tiniest creatures, God has placed extraordinary properties that turn them into agents of destruction of dead matter. Due to his successful research in fermentation on vinegar, wine, and beer, among others, he was approached by the Empress Eugenie to develop himself to organizing France's manufacturing industries. And if you're not familiar with the late 19th century government of France, this empress was the wife of the French emperor Napoleon III, who's not to be confused with the other French emperor named Napoleon. That was his uncle, Napoleon Bonaparte. Anyway, he was given this offer, a very prestigious offer, but Pasteur declined the empress's offer, considering it beneath the dignity of a scientist to give up his time for commercial endeavors, but rather he allowed that others would convert his discoveries into the economic realm while he pursued further scientific work. Later on, the French government appealed to him again, this time to study the silkworm disease, which was destroying the French silk industry, which seemed to be near its end, and as a scientific endeavor, this time Pasteur accepted. And during this time, many supposed remedies had previously been tried but failed, such as importing healthy silkworms from China multiple times, only to see these silkworms or their offspring succumb to the disease. Pasteur found that the silkworm had been suffering from two separate diseases, paburine and flasherine, and that the spread of the diseases could be prevented by carefully segregating the healthy worms from the diseased ones. And based on this discovery, the French silkworm industry rebounded from near ruin. And throughout his career, Pasteur's research essentially was progressing up a ladder from his very first work on inorganic crystals to organic microbes, such as we talked about in the pasteurization, up to worms with the silkworms. Next would be livestock, and then finally humans. So on this trek, he next tackled the problem of anthrax, which was decimating cattle across France. He eventually demonstrated the bacterial calls of anthrax and was able to find that earthworms were carrying the disease up from the bodies of dead animals buried in shallow graves. And when they brought this disease up with them, it was infecting the grazing animals on the surface. Pasteur learned that heat reduced the vitality of the anthrax microbe. And by introducing heat, he could produce a mild form of anthrax that protected cattle from the more deadly form, which led to an anthrax vaccine. Based on this success, in 1880, he began his famous research in terabes, which was also called hydrophobia at the time. It's said that 
Back when he began his research, some of the common treatments against rabies included useless remedies like cauterizing the afflicted with hot irons and stifling them between two mattresses. He eventually developed a vaccine, which he famously gave to a nine-year-old boy who had been bitten by a mad dog, which showed its, its success to the scientific community who doubted that a vaccine could be developed for the disease, which obviously it's the vaccine that we have today. And as you know, that rabies is not the problem it would have been a hundred years ago, thanks to Pasteur. Pasteur is once said to have said to his sister, if by chance you falter on the journey, a hand will be there to support you. If that should be wanting, God, who alone would take the hand from you, would accomplish the work. Hopefully demonstrated or shown, there was much work accomplished through Pasteur, and he received numerous awards as a result of the research he conducted and the discoveries he made. And so I want to briefly summarize a rather lengthy list, if if it's possible. So he received the Rumford Medal, the Copley Medal, the Albert Medal, a Russian Medal, monetary prizes from the Austrian government, the French Society d'Encouragement, the Bressa Monetary Prize from the Turin Academy, an annual pension from the French government for his accomplishments, which later got doubled after further accomplishments, honorary degrees from Oxford and Bone, memberships into the French Academy, the English Royal Society, was named the Perpetual Secretary of the Academy of Sciences, Legion of Honor Orders from Russia, Denmark, Greece, Sweden, Turkey, Brazil, Norway, Portugal. And if that wasn't enough, he had a university named after him, the University of Strasbourg, which I think is the one where he met his wife. So pretty impressive list of accomplishments. And the reason I wanted to mention all the accomplishments and all the rewards is contrary to the idea that science is opposed to faith, Pasteur showed that one could not only be a man of science and of faith, but that his study of science helped develop his faith in God, and that his faith in God helped lead to his scientific advancements. My personal take on Catholic teaching is that God is truth, which means that as a Catholic scientist who studies the natural sciences, one is studying the truth of God revealed in his creation, and therefore the sciences shouldn't really be shunned, but should be embraced as an authentic understanding of them should help us draw us closer to their creator. And this seems to be the sentiment held by Pasteur, who once said, our science and the passionate desire to understand anything else than the effect of that which spurred towards knowledge, which the mystery of the universe has placed in our soul. And in a parallel of Galatians 3.28, his quote continues, where are the true sources of human dignity, of liberty, of modern democracy, unless they are contained in the idea of the infinite, before which all men are equal. And as his life's work demonstrates, once Pasteur put his mind to something, he was able to figure it out. Although the one thing that his sharp mind could never really grasp was how other sciences could so readily fail to recognize the clear demonstration of the existence of God in the world around us. One anecdote about Louis Pasteur's life relates to one day he was riding on a train. He took out his rosary and began to pray. A young man seated across from him, who did not recognize the elderly Pasteur, ridiculed the supposed old fool, relying on medieval charms and superstitions. And this young man offered to send this old fool some modern literature that would set him free of his religious superstitions. Continuing to pray his rosary, the elderly gentleman politely agreed to accept their literature. Upon reaching his destination, the elderly man rose to exit the train 
and handed the young man a card with his mailing address. The card read, Louis Pasteur, Director, Pasteur Institute. Hopefully the point was impressed on the young man that the most accomplished scientist in France, if not the whole world, that his many scientific achievements and discoveries had helped bolster his Catholic faith and did not diminish it. Pasteur's health began to fail after suffering a stroke in 1894, and while on his deathbed, he asked to have the life of fellow Frenchman St. Vincent de Paul read to him. In Pasteur's mind, he was relating his work of St. Vincent to his own in saving suffering children, the rosary in his hand, and the story of St. Vincent read to him. He died in 1895. His body was first buried in the Cathedral of Notre Dame following a state funeral before being moved to its current spot at the Pasteur Institute, where his tomb is adorned with the line, Happy the man who bears within him a divinity, an idea of beauty and obeys it, an idea of art, an ideal of science, an ideal of country, and an ideal of the virtues of the gospel. Well, thank you, Scott. Just, just two thoughts in conclusion. The first one, leave it to you to find a connection to railroads in one way or another, even when talking about Louis Pasteur. The second one, your description of Pasteur's understanding of the relationship between faith and science, the way he saw his own scientific research, reminds me of something Pope Pius XII said. Pius was a pope who thought and wrote much about the relationship between faith and science, and in a 1951 address to the Pontifical Academy of the Sciences, he said, contrary to rash statements in the past, the more that true science advances, the more it discovers God, almost as though he were standing, vigilant and waiting behind every door which science opens. That, it seems to me, is the way that Pasteur saw his work and the way the rest of us ought to see this relationship. We close in prayer. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto. Sicuturat in principio et nunc et semper et in saecula saeculorum. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Catholic History Trek. You can reach us at catholichistorytrek at gmail.com. <laughs>